Welcome back to episode 32 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I give my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into The Fruit of Grisaya, released in 2014 by Studio 8-Bit. It has 13 episodes and comes in sub-only from what I can tell. The story follows Yuji Kazami, a newly admitted student to school. The first time I watched the series, I was curious to what Kazami's obsession was with going to an ordinary school. Rewatching it back now, I even see the subtitles have the words ordinary school in quotation marks. I'm surprised Kazami so readily accepted this academy as it's clearly a place for special circumstances especially when he was so hung up on wanting a normal experience. Regular schools house more than six students, and the principal telling you to deal with someone trying to slice you up with a box cutter isn't ordinary. I went to public school, and it's not even normal there. The situation Kazami finds himself in isn't a bad one. The only boy in a dorm full of girls, and he gets his own huge bath, sounds like a great setup to me. Being hounded by the police asking if he's a terrorist, we're given hints right away that Kazami has some mysterious past. While the details of Kazumi's life before school are not completely explored this season, it's not hard to tell from his training routine, ration meals, and the traps he's laid out to protect his room, he has some background in the military. Kazumi is very robotic in his thinking, and his assumptions of what girls do in their rooms while they're alone was funny. This was only surpassed moments later with the, ah, a stripper in my room, it isn't even my birthday. Lines like that gave him a little bit of a personality. Kazumi lived in the mountains with his master, whose slogan was run fast, hit hard, read books. I love that. Kazumi had a deep admiration for his master, and how he described her saving him was really nice. The log cabin they lived in was so fire, that is my dream, to live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. I'd still need a television like this cabin had, and I'm not skillful enough to live off the land, so a grocery store would have to be reachable too, so I guess being in the middle of nowhere would be a stretch for me. Kazumi is voiced by Takahiro Sakurai, who also voiced Sasori and Naruto. Researching the voice cast of this series, aside from Michiro's actress, all the girls are voiced by actors who haven't done much work outside of this series. I was very surprised at this because I enjoyed everyone's voice in this series, they were all done very well. Each girl this season has a tragic backstory, and we have Kazumi help them in some way or another deal with their past. I was excited about what each character had to contribute to the season. The first episode sets things up nicely. Yumi was doing extensive background checks on Kazumi. We had Amine talking about she finally found him after picking the lock on Kazumi's door. We see Komine making what looked to be pipe bombs. I was like, what is this school and what is going on? I didn't get Sundere vibes from Michiru at all. I only felt she started acting that way after Kazumi called her one. Right away, there was a lot to uncover with Michiru. I didn't believe she was eating a candy out of her fanny pack, and I also wondered why she would lie about dyeing her hair color blonde. We got into her expressing a desire to be buried at the lighthouse overlooking the ocean, then her other self, Miss Green Eyes, kissed Kazumi. There seemed to be a lot going on with Michiru. When the incident that sent her into the darkness happened, Kazumi was a good guy trying not to have Michiru see the cat was injured. The show actually had the cat die in a pretty gruesome fashion. There was a lot of blood. And losing a pet can be a devastating thing. At first I thought Michiru wanting to die because of it seemed a little extreme, but getting a flashback into her history, it made more sense why this affected her so much. Michiru was dealing with clear mental health issues since she was a child due to psychological and mild physical abuse from her mother. This had her contemplating suicide for a long time, but she was able to hang on a little longer due to making her friend, who essentially gave her her personality. She's the reason we see Michiru now with the shark pouch around her waist and the scrunchie on her wrist. 
Michiru inherited the personality of her organ donor during a heart transplant, and the heart she got was from that best friend. It made the story run a lot deeper, and most people keep the loved ones who are gone close to their heart, but Michiru actually has her best friend in her heart. Michiru fades into the abyss, letting green eyes take over completely. And Kazumi's commitment to snap her out of the darkness was intense. Even if it was just a candy, he forcefully pulled Michiru back, putting them down her throat. He doesn't just threaten to, but actually digs a hole and buries her alive. Kazumi scared the life into her. Up to this point, Michiru was the character I paid the least mind to, but this entire backstory was crafted so well, I gained an appreciation for her. It made me excited for what was in store with the other girls. The art style change in Michiru's face when she was surprised or worried, making her almost look like a blockhead was fun. Usually I don't enjoy an art style if it's just concentrated on like one specific character, but it didn't bother me with Michiru. For as guarded as Yumi is, we see her sweet side through volunteering and cleaning trash around town. Her friends at the academy even help out sometimes. Kazumi seemed very interested in sticking around the school to meet Yumi. When she first attacked him with a box cutter, I felt like he had some sort of secret mission involving her. And this was only furthered by the end of the pilot episode when Kazumi gets a call being told that there's work to be done. And I was right, there was a mission to be done with Yumi. When Kazumi was supposed to take a beating in front of Yumi, I was like, I don't want to see that. So when he changed his mind and pieced up all the attackers, I was so happy. One of the guys came at Kazumi with straight boxing. Kazumi was like, I'm not playing that shit. Booted out the knee before spin kicking him in the face. For someone who was never going to accept Kazumi, Yumi sure did cling to him before and after the thugs came around. Yumi's father is an ass who sets up an attack on their clearly fragile-minded daughter in order to control her. Yumi is the first student to attend this school, and we later discover her father built it specifically for her, but not for a positive reason. Yumi's history includes anime schoolgirls continuing their streak of nastiness. The way they speak about Yumi's family structure was messed up. We see Yumi snap and attack one of the girls, and Yumi was nice with that box cutter all along. I was starting to think it was an idle threat because she never got far using it against Kazumi, but it turned out his dodging skills are just that good. Yumi's mother had health issues and a broken mental state, but her telling her daughter that she wished she had a boy as if that would have fixed all her problems, that was awful. Speaking of awful, faking Yumi's death was so convoluted. First, I was like, how can Yumi buy a firearm online? For the cadaver, she must have paid overnight shipping fees to get it there quick before it rotted. None of the setup made any sense, so I can't believe the father actually bought it. And there's no way the dad keeps funding the school and doesn't realize his daughter is still alive attending classes there. After Yumi is saved, she still remains the most isolated of the girls, and I did love that moving forward after seeing Kazumi's skills, whenever a situation presented itself, as soon as Yumi knew Kazumi was on it, she's like, okay everyone, let's just let him handle it. Komine is the class representative. I don't know if she had to work hard to obtain that position. There was only four other options before Kazumi arrived. Komine is a chatterbox and comes off a little dense during her introduction, calmly asking Kazumi if he is a prowler. Like he responded, if he was, he would never admit it. Komine wears a maid uniform because someone once told her it suited her helpful nature. This adds to my comments towards Kazumi earlier. This is clearly not your average school. Classmates don't wear maid uniforms. I was disappointed in Komine, I thought she was going to be a pal and keep Kazumi's kiss with JB a secret, but then she sends a damn photo to Amine. And Komine is a bit of a dominatrix, there was that one scene where she tells all the girls to lick her shoes. Komine goes above and beyond to help the students at the academy. Going to get Makina fresh milk would be a great example of that. Komine enjoys being helpful, the most excited we see her is when she gets to make Kazumi a pouch and fix Michiru's zipper. I feel Michiru throughout the season takes advantage of Komine's kindness, always getting her to do things for her. 
I was excited to see Komine's history. As I mentioned earlier, we see her building some interesting things in her room. She has a deep knowledge of firearms as we see when Yumi pulls out the strap on her father. And the show was doing so well, but now we have the Komine as a childhood friend of Kazumi that he just happened to forget about. Classic. Rewatching this series, I remember Makina, Amine, and Yumi's stories very well, but I couldn't recall a thing about Komine's or the adventure that her and Kazumi would have. As soon as Michiru mentioned getting rid of the test, it all flooded back to me this crazy chick rigs the school with explosives. Kazumi was way too confident in disarming the bombs, like what if she had an extra bomb he didn't know about, or the freeze didn't work properly? Kazumi put all the girls in the school not knowing if Komine had like a contingency plan if her explosives failed. Komine's backstory was rough, her parents are run over in front of her. Now stopping in the middle of the street was dumb, but if you look they did have a green light, so the truck was at fault. The way the show had her father contorted was graphic. Seeing something so damaging, her logic twisted to being selfish is what harmed her parents, so doing everything for everyone else will keep people safe. I'm still confused how this led to her knowledge of firearms and creating explosives. Maybe that'll be something that is explored further on down the line. Kazumi gives Komine closure, bringing her to her parents' old workshop, and she receives the letter that they had left for her birthday. Makina's introduction being tackled on the coach in order to have her hair brushed with the slow motion 90 degree camera turn seems super random, but I was into it. Makina is timid, she's presented very childlike in her speech and demeanor, though she does have a potty mouth. Losing her father to essentially an assassination and being kidnapped herself at such a young age, it's no wonder why she's looking for a protector. Makina being left for days in front of her father was heartbreaking, it made me even happier Kazumi had taken her under his wing. I admired Kazumi and Makina's brother-sister dynamic. When Kazumi accepts being upgraded to the status of father, I did not expect that. Kazumi taking the role gives him the authority to instruct her in whatever way he sees fit. He uses this opportunity to give her confidence to stand on her own. Kazumi wants to make Makina strong so she doesn't feel the need to have a father figure to lean on. Kazumi does this the only way he knows how, military style. He needs to break her down to build her back up. This included a physical regimen, combat and weapon training, and harsh discipline. I don't know about father-daughter relationships where they're from, but over here we don't make out with our fathers. Well, I guess that's not completely true. Daddy has become quite the popular term. I thought we were going to get a full story of Makina starting a relationship with her sister, but then she is car-bombed right in front of Makina, and if that car was started a few seconds earlier, they could have gotten both sisters in one go. And did you see that explosion? There's no way in hell that girl would have survived. I thought it was funny when Kazumi was talking about how he wouldn't kill anyone, and then he sees Makina as the target, and I was like, anyone who goes near that little girl is going to get dismembered. Kazumi kills an entire infiltration unit with a Tamagotchi. Now Makina going back for the tree was stupid, but she was a little beast choking that guy out. Now, I knew Yumi didn't die with the grenade, but with Makina, there was a lot of blood and she was shot in the stomach. I really didn't want her to die, and the two guys who shot her and were kicking her, I needed them to be killed in horrendous fashion. I didn't get that, but when Makina's mother was gunned down, I smiled the entire time. That woman was a monster. This was easily my favorite story of the season. Kazuki is Kazumi's older sister. Kazuki is presumed dead after she along with Amine were involved in a bus accident coming home from a basketball camp. I love Kazuki's dry personality, even after being in an accident she always kept a cool head and sarcastic attitude. Kazuki is a genius and annoyingly arrogant towards the other girls. 
Her order of operations suggesting if the more injured people die while she tends to the less severely hurt, it's a good thing because she didn't have to waste time on them? That was so savage. She says she was joking, but I don't think she was. I love Kazuki taking Amine under her care. She didn't just keep her alive, but she was teaching her during this entire experience. Kazuki had impeccable instincts from the start. She hates the class president just like I did, and it turns out that she was the crazed ringleader. Something that bothered me after I finished watching this series the first time was these clowns were stranded for weeks in the same clearing, yet freedom was three hours to the right. Watching it now for the review, I see Kazuki did suggest they should try to find a way out while they were still fresh. I'm surprised Kazuki just didn't do her own thing and go anyways. The only person she actually gave an ounce of care for was Amine, who was uninjured. They should have gone off to safety themselves. These girls fall into delirium, and first the cat coughing up blood, now butchering a dead puppy to eat, this series had a real hate on for animals. When the teacher returned from failing to get help after taking half the food, great move by the way chump, I called the meat he brought back was human. This teacher is way too stupid to be able to hunt deer. Had he and the club president always had an inappropriate relationship, or did it start when he turned in a crazed state? I felt she threw it at him in order to control him and have some sort of sick power getting him to chop up all the dead girls. Something I always wondered and one of the reasons I wanted to start making reviews was to ask everyone questions like this. When the teacher is running after Amine in the forest, his movements and glowing red eyes look unhuman. At this point the show had no indication of anything supernatural, yet the teacher looked like a ghoul. The entire survival storyline is told to us the viewer by Amine. Now Amine has been stranded for weeks, starving, watching people around her die, then she sees a graphic teacher-student relationship surrounded by mutilated bodies in the dark. I wonder if because of all of these traumatic circumstances, the teacher actually looked normal, but through her memories, Amine was so scared she created him to be this monster in her mind. I could just be looking too deep into it, maybe it was just a creative choice by the showrunner to instill a greater sense of fear. But if it is the case that Amine retelling the events of the day imagines him as this red-eyed creature, that is one hell of an awesome storytelling detail. Amine is a beautiful red-headed girl. She is also a biker chick rolling up to school on her hog. During my first watch when she was taken back by Kazumi introducing himself, I figured it was because he was a good looking guy and there wasn't any boys at the academy. Finding out the whole backstory and reason why she slightly paused was a great hint for things to come that completely went over my head. Later when she asked if he had a sister, it was only during my second viewing I realized she was prodding him to see if he was the boy she was in fact looking for. Makina mentions Amine doesn't like meat so she doesn't cook with it much. After what she saw in the woods, of course she wouldn't like meat. Watching this series again for a second time, I had so much appreciation for the little comments that you would only realize were significant a second time around. Amine is pretty comfortable with herself, has no issue changing in front of Kazumi, and doesn't even flinch when he walks in on her. Amine is a sneaky flirt, how she was playing footsies with Kazumi, but when Komine looked under the desk, her shoes were already back on her feet. Amine fantasizing about Kazumi while in his bed and then Kazumi with no chill doesn't even lie to savor the embarrassment when she asks how long he's been there. Quite a while. With this being said, I thought it was weird she wanted to be like a sister to him. When you see what Kazuki meant to Amine, she saved her countless times. It makes sense Amine wanted to keep her promise and care for Kazumi like a sister would. Seeing as she feels guilt, believing she's the reason Kazumi lost his sister. Kazumi turns out to be the ultimate player. He aggressively steals Amine's first kiss convinces her to be his girlfriend while he doesn't have to be her boyfriend, and then if he disappears she can't cry about it. That's an awesome setup for him. The club president's father has some pair on him to walk up to Kazumi and tell him as much as he did. His efforts would have been more effective if he kept his mouth shut and did a sneak attack. 
This was just the beginning of his stupid plan. The gun he brings to take the girls hostage only holds two shots. He constantly has to reload. He is so unfocused, he allows Kazumi to have ears in the room through Komine's phone. He doesn't even consider the possibility of the water Amine brought him is dosed with knockout drugs. The man is the worst hostage taker ever. I would have been dead if I was Amine. I'd be telling him his daughter was a mutt who deserved to die up on that mountain. When he pops wood and starts dragging Amine, I was like, no, 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 I don't want it to be this type of series. I was so relieved when nothing came out of it. We see how Makina has grown with Kazumi, but it never showed us her learning Morse code. Having that be the means of communication was awesome. It was a surprise, but it made complete sense. The ending shot was too good. It's taken from the lighthouse we've seen all season and through the tiniest window. When the bullet hit the wall, I was like, oh god, no, he missed. Then you see the blood everywhere. It was great. Good for Amine not being dumb, just running off. She took the gun with her. As for the animation quality this season, the car driving scenes looked really polished and unique. I asked my boy Kaylee Kale why a show wouldn't have everything look this way if they clearly had the technology and ability to do it. He explained the time and more so the money it would take making those animations is ineffective. You would never get out of it what you put into it. The sniper shot from the lighthouse was another really well done scene. It looked different from all the other animation throughout the season. This show did have some hiccups as well. Amine crying on Kazumi's shoulder. It looked very poor. As for the music in this series, the opening song grew on me. I wasn't really a fan at the beginning. And there was this background piano that would play during some episodes that I really enjoyed. Alright, now we're going to get into some nitpicks. If Mitriu was in the box for three days, how did she not pee or poop? Did none of the other girls find it odd both Kazumi and her were just gone for three days, or did this story just luckily fall onto a long weekend? The height at which the bus fell off the cliff, I don't think there would have been nearly as many survivors as there were. The convenience of when some of these events occurred is out there. Yumi's father decides to take her back using Kazumi's company to do it while Kazumi just happened to start at the school. Makina's death is contracted through Kazumi's company and the mother decides now is the best time to strike when Kazumi has taken such a protective role over Makina. The club president's father comes to get revenge on Amine just after she revealed the truth to Kazumi. Those events happened six years ago and he chooses right after she gets an assassin boyfriend to try to mess with her. Getting the gunman into place was bullshit. If I told you right now, go brick a urinal with no equipment, there's no way you could do it in a manner that's not noticeable. Mitru's head would never cause that damage. Why did the other girls not simply run away when the gunman was in the bathroom the first time? You can't really make the argument he would hurt Makina or Michiru because then he would have no bargaining chips to get to Amine. Quote of the series. Being indebted to someone is nothing to be ashamed of. Not repaying that debt is. That was a sick line. Best girl waifu and harem. Best girl is Makina. I choose best girl based on their skills and abilities, not just who's the most attractive. Going into this review, I had Amine being best girl for sure as I liked her and Kazumi becoming a strange couple. Looking back now, Makina's storyline was always my favorite, but I didn't remember how much better she was than Amine. Makina doesn't accept the role of incapable victim. She trains hard, studies to learn, and is serious when it comes to surviving. She tackled and choked out an armed man before getting shot. After living through this, she still keeps her upbeat, new positive attitude. Amine in the flashback really screwed over Kazuki. If she had kept it together, not breaking down while escaping the forest, Kazuki would not have had to stay behind to buy her time. I do put some of that on Kazuki too, as she should have just taken Amine and fled. There was no need to show her the girls' bodies, it was what led them to being caught. What makes Kazuki so brave is she planned on sacrificing herself for Amine. She faced all the other students, even though she's much smaller. 
When it was Amine's time to shine in her arc, Makina is the one who learned the skills and got the gunman into position to be taken out by Kazumi. When two characters both outshine you in your own arc, I can't give you best girl. Each character was good and I liked the friendship of all the girls, but the trio of Amine, Makina, and Kazumi was the best. Amine does have waifu potential, but she's not my waifu. As for Harem, Yumi, JB, and Amine are all welcome in mine. Final thoughts. I feel more invested in the Fruit of Grisaia than I should. What I mean by that is there's nothing mind-blowing about this series, but I love it. I appreciated the relationships that developed between all the different characters, the stories were pretty out there, yet I had fun with every single one of them. I would recommend you check out this show if you haven't already. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.